0: On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, the impact on ASCs of the ongoing drug shortages, recent state actions impacting ASCs, including price transparency initiatives, and in our focus segment, we discuss profitability challenges related to ongoing salary and other cost pressures, and interview Trivalence's Alex Parada regarding supply chain costs.
1: Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gabley, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We'd like to thank our sponsor of this episode, TriValance. TriValance offers a comprehensive, next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about TriValance, visit their website at trivalance.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com.
0: Welcome to episode 209 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for December 27, 2023. We're recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, co host of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and operations manager for ambulatory healthcare strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it is important to recognize that this information may be subject to change and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by their relevant regulatory bodies. Joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over thirty years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over ten books on the ASC industry and is a sought after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues.
1: So Sue, so you have some big news? Yes.
0: <laughs> I have my fourth grandchild has arrived a few days ago. So and it's Amy my daughter Amy who works for who works with us. It's her first baby. So we've been um you know Busy around here that's right a lot we've, of uh,
1: we've had this uh, script uh, available for a while and we just have uh, finally been able to sneak down in between uh, uh, feedings here but uh, the the new baby lives with us and uh, mm-hmm. I got the news while I was on an airplane that uh, uh, always interesting to see how text messages can come through <laughs> even on an airplane but it was uh, great news and we're we're so happy to, to uh, welcome Millie yep. uh, to our family and and to our home she actually lives with us mm-hmm. too so um, and she's one of many babies coming in the Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies Group. I think we have uh, two others coming. Well, we do. We have two others coming in the next uh, three to four months. So, uh, I uh, we yeah, every also,
0: two months we thought we'd space it. That's like, right. We spaced it
1: out it very well. <laughs> uh, And with that challenge, we have uh, brought. We've been bringing more staffing on, and and yeah. we mentioned this uh, a couple episodes ago. But uh, Katie Pearson has joined us uh, on our staff here, and she's a, a great addition, a great friend of the podcast. And it's such a pleasure to have her join us mm-hmm. here. She's uh, uh, very knowledgeable and uh, yes. now going to be and she's actually going to be on the podcast a little bit uh, mm-hmm. over the next mm-hmm. couple months, too. Um, and we had a great holiday. Obviously, having a, a new baby in the house uh, is is one great way to celebrate, but we hope <laughs> all of you have been uh, enjoying the holiday season also as we record this between uh, Christmas and the New Year. You know, Sue, so this is the time of year when we start reflecting on everything that's been going on for the past year. As, as we finish up our sixth year on the podcast, uh, we're going to have kind of a retrospective in our uh, next episode, which we'll probably record in the next couple of days also. You know, a lot of... Uh, Financial challenges, I think, is it's fair to say, uh, have been uh, appearing with the ongoing inflationary pressures we have, the salary uh, challenges that we have. So uh, we thought we would talk about that uh, as part of this episode today. So before we get to that, Sue, why don't we uh, talk about some recent news?
0: An ECRI and ISMP report from October detailed the results of a survey conducted across different healthcare settings um, concerning drug shortages. of respondents reported shortages involving single-use supplies, durable medical equipment, and more than 20 drugs in the previous six months. 86% of respondents reported having to ration or restrict the use of supplies, drugs, and equipment such as rounding down on medication doses or even reusing single-use devices, which... Should never be done, right? <laughs> I
1: was just going to say, yeah.
0: Um, or extending the beyond use date, which you can look those up with the help of your your pharmacy assistant. As Sometimes, long as it's there been, is the company, right? Has, as long as the extended it, yes. Yeah. Um, to ensure safety, eighty-four percent of respondents reported increasing education of staff regarding safe dosing of alternative drugs or alternative supplies and equipment, which is really important because right. you know when, when you have a different form of the medication, just make sure you're always keeping your staff updated. Most respondents also reported um, regular meetings with pharmacy staff, and for ASCs, this would likely be your pharmacy consultant, and regular staff meetings about any shortages of medications or materials and you know how to handle that if, if you're changing dosages and that kind of thing. Um, almost 50% reported having to delay patient treatments due to supply issues. And I'll take this directly from the article. Um, they kind of published a, a word of caution to address the shortages. Many hospitals and health systems are sourcing devices and other equipment from non traditional suppliers since demand is outpacing the availability of functionally equivalent product from reliable manufacturers. ECRI's testing of medical supplies and personal protective equipment from non traditional sources has revealed alarmingly poor performance. Tests of nearly 200 imported KN95 masks from 15 of the most popular non traditional sources showed that 60 to 70% of masks did not filter the amount of aerosol particulate the manufacturers claimed. And testing of 34 models of disposable gowns without clearly advertised levels of protection revealed that 52% failed to even meet the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentations, or AME's, standards of level one protection. And 50% of disposable gowns that claimed to meet a level of Amy protection did not meet the standards described by Amy. So for more information on managing drug shortages, visit the ISMP website, which we'll, we'll provide a link to. And for managing supply and device shortages, the ECRI website, which we'll also um, provide a link to.
1: There is so much to unpack from uh-huh. this, Sue. Um, I, you know, I, in particular, and, and one thing that came out and something that I've um been very careful with uh, you know as I'm out and around mm-hmm. is just making sure that that the staff of the organi- the staff of the surgery centers understand that uh, just because we have a shortage doesn't mean that we can use these products past the expiration date mm-hmm. uh, unless you know the manufacturer has extended that yes. uh, and there's so many reasons for that you know I mean regulatory obviously you can get into a lot of trouble with with that but of course the uh, the efficacy of the drug is always a question. And, of course, if you ever have a lawsuit and and the uh, plaintiff finds out that you've uh, mm-hmm. used drugs that have expired, you're going to have some problems there. And, and another thing that I, I've noted is that sometimes – I, as a surveyor, when I come in, will discover something that an anesthesiologist is doing or a physician mm-hmm. is doing that the staff themselves do not know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the anesthesiologist or the, the the physicians think that they're doing a good thing by saving product or mm-hmm. making sure that they provide uh, the, the necessary drugs to the patients. But, of course, you know, we in administration, we in in leadership positions within the organization have to protect that organization. So mm-hmm. I think uh, one takeaway I, I want to make sure we extend to all of our administrators and nurse managers out there is to keep an eye out for those situations that people might not readily admit to occurring in your organization.
0: And I always work with your pharmacy consultant. If you're talking about medications, they might have some alternatives you hadn't thought of.
1: Right. Um, or, or be able to help you with uh, sourcing, mm-hmm. you know, drugs. Or yeah. uh, they could also be helping you to identify whether the manufacturer has extended the Yes, that. they've
0: got all of that information
1: and another takeaway from this, of course, is making sure that you make sure your staff is well aware of the the rules there, and that they can't extend or or use drugs uh, past their expiration date mm-hmm. if uh, uh, if a, if somebody else in the organization has told them it's all right to do that,
0: mm-hmm. or or reuse single use devices, devices or correct, single dose vials.
1: It was also interesting. Are you know, talking about uh, masks and. Uh, I I thought it was interesting they mentioned the disposable gowns that didn't even meet a level one requirement. Sue, while I've been uh, visiting uh, many of the state associations, we've been uh, noticing some trends in uh, state legislative activities. Um, And I know ASCA is very much involved in this and Mm -hmm. our our good friend Stephen Albrecht, who uh, we work with very closely and who uh, is a a great resource for state associations, uh, wrote an article in a recent ASCA News Digest, which talked about some of those trends. We just want to kind of mention some of those things in in general so that you, you keep a very close eye out for it. And we do want to, you know, thank ASCA for the hard work that they have been uh, doing on behalf of the state associations and, uh, you know, trying to uh, bring these initiatives to light uh, nationally so other state associations can be prepared for it. One of the areas that uh, there's been quite a bit of work in, especially six states in 2023, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Texas, considered facility fee proposals that had they been enacted as they were introduced into the uh, legislatures, would have prohibited prohibited ASCs from charging facility fees, effectively killing uh, the ASCs in their states. And this is one of the reasons that we really encourage uh, our ambulatory surgery centers to join their state association to uh, advocate on behalf of uh, the interests of the ASCs. So, certainly in those states, as well as all the states in the country, you know, make sure that you are a member of the state association there. Price transparency has also been a a major issue, and nine states uh, in the last year have uh, been looking into this. Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Iowa, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, North Carolina, and Texas all considered legislation that would have imposed new price transparency requirements on ASCs, meaning that they would have to disclose their prices in a public manner. Price estimate legislation in Colorado and itemized billing requirements in Texas were both enacted this year. So, again, another reason for you to become a member of your state association to protect your interests there. Certificate of need uh, rules are uh, continuing to change in various states. Uh, Major developments occurred in North and South Carolina, uh, where both states enacted uh, significant reforms to their their programs. So big takeaway here is that in North Carolina, there is a new class of CON-exempt Ambulatory surgery centers called qualified urban ambulatory surgical facilities. So, reach out to your state association if you're looking uh, to build a ambulatory surgery center in an urban area in North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, did adopt much more extensive reforms, fully repealing the CON requirements for all facility types except nursing homes and the Medical University of South Carolina. So uh, that was a major win, of course, for the industry. And of course, Surgical Smoke has been a major initiative. Uh, AORN has uh, been advocating this across the country. 11 states uh, considered 20 pieces of legislation. They were California, Florida, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Missouri, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas in West Virginia, Uh, and five of those states did enact their legislation, California, Louisiana, Missouri, uh, New Jersey, and Ohio. Uh, as with uh, past surgical s- smoke evacuation requirements, these new laws do require ambulatory surgery centers to, uh, to mitigate the exposure to surgical smoke. I think this is a-, a national trend, Sue. I think this is something that even if your state has not enacted it yet, uh, you really need to be uh, looking into it and being prepared for its eventuality. And it certainly is the right thing to do. If you want more information, we'll give you a reference to the uh, to ASCA, the ASC Association. And again, please join ASCA. Uh, they do an incredible job on behalf of all of our ambulatory surgery centers. And mm-hmm. I want to thank Stephen Elbrush for a great article about what's going on there. And so there was an interesting article in uh, Becker's about a Zempic and its impact on uh, healthcare, care. Mm-hmm. And I, I found it kind of amusing. Do you want to walk through it?
0: So we've talked about Ozempic and other GLP-1 drugs, and their use has quadrupled in the past three years. So it's really something to think about. We talked previously about the need to take these medications into consideration when you're planning surgery and doing a history on your patients due to the delayed gastric emptying that's caused by these medications. And so, you know, it's important to look into what the anesthesia groups are saying. They usually want a longer NPO time But, you know, there are differing opinions on that. But that's important to take into consideration. Just to make
1: sure that the patient's uh, stomach is completely empty. empty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there is now a lot of speculation on how these medications are going to affect surgery rates in the future. So a number of plastic surgeries are increasing, um, especially that skin removal due to the rapid weight loss. And according to Becker's spine review, there may be a big jump in orthopedic cases, such as total joint replacements, Um, as the patients lose enough weight to safely have surgery as their BMI comes more into line with what is safe. Um, However, in the long term, fewer surgeries may be needed due to people becoming thinner and healthier before that joint damage occurs. So this is a trend to watch. We're not quite sure how it's going to all play out.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, the kind of good news, bad news. But I think a mm-hmm. major takeaway here is, of course, if uh, uh, is that you should be asking questions about uh, azempic and, and the mm-hmm. other GLP-1 drugs. Definitely. Uh, just to make sure that uh, – and your anesthesiologists already know about this, and they, they probably uh, approach you. But if not, uh, you know, put it on your next uh, – uh, quality improvement and, and medical executive mm-hmm. uh, yeah. meeting uh, discussion, a- especially if you have general anesthesia or yeah. you know um, deep, uh, deep anesthesia. But I think it is encouraging. Uh, I mean, obviously not necessarily great for our industry if, uh, if the number of surgeries goes okay. down, but it is good for our nation to have yes. uh, healthier people. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the cost pressures that ambulatory surgery centers are having now.
2: Do you work long hours at your ASC, ordering from multiple vendors or managing back orders? Do you manually track POs and invoices? Do you need help sifting through paper to find payment discrepancies? Most ASCs are understaffed, overworked, and wear multiple hats, which leads to burnout. Trivalence launched an intuitive procurement to payment solution that optimizes your ASC's performance and removes the frustration from daily tasks, allowing for a happier, more productive staff. The Trivalence solution streamlines the disjointed supply chain in your busy surgery center, from ordering supplies to managing your purchase orders and invoices to making payments. The platform provides a robust dashboard with actionable reporting and lets you track your spending down to the penny. Visit trivalence.com to schedule a demo or learn more about this all-in-one solution. That's T R I V A L E N C E.com.
1: As we come to the end of uh, 2023, I thought it would be interesting to kind of reflect back on some of the uh, cost pressures that we have, the profitability pressures that we have in our organizations. Mm. Um, And we've seen this certainly with our own clients and certainly in the market. We know that uh, the consumer price index has gone up about 3.9 percent. That's as of uh, the November numbers. And the hospital market basket for hospitals is running between 4 and 5 percent. However, our reimbursement uh, is certainly not keeping pace. Medicare, for example, has increased our reimbursement for 2024 by 3.1 percent, a full one percentage lower uh, than the, the hospital market basket. Now, you know, the hospital market basket is the closest um, cost index that we have for our industry, but it is still different because, of course, of the, uh, the outpatient costs that we have. But, Sue, you saw an article in OR Manager, didn't you, about uh, RN salaries. Did you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes. So the October 12th, 2023 issue of OR Manager, and we will provide a link, mentioned that RNs are expected to see a big salary bump by 2033. And of course, this is due to the nursing demand. So according to the article, RNs made around $33.13 in in hourly earnings in 2013. And of course, this is on average and probably based on hospital. Right, right. And it rose to $45.49 in 2023. And that is expected to rise to seventy-four dollars and nine cents in twenty thirty-three.
1: So that, that those are pretty big increases. That's about twelve dollar increase over the past ten years which is uh, almost a third, almost 30, you know, about 30%. And, uh, of course, going up to $74 is another $30 increase. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, we have to be very careful about keeping our staffing at at good levels, keeping up with the uh, the salary demands of our nurses.
0: And, of course, they, they did mention that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics said that registered nursing is still one of the fastest growing fields in the country. And we're expected to need an additional 193,000 nurses per year over the next 10 years. And that this is interesting that nursing school programs have declined for the first time in 20 years. So it's not getting better anytime soon. Right.
1: And the the report also noted that the primary driver for increasing nursing salaries uh, is the demand for the job and the number of qualified workers, which is uh, continuing to decline. And, and of course, you already saw the statistic for the number that that we need. So from a salary perspective, I think it's important for you to really kind of keep – to really keep your, your current staff happy. Of course, it, it costs a lot of money to try to find new staff. And the easiest way to avoid a problem in the first place is make sure your staff don't leave. So I think you you have to uh, do some market research, make sure that your uh, salaries are are uh, in line with what's going on in the community. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain advantages of working in a surgery center, but some of those advantages are disappearing. For example, working long, longer hours, uh, working mm-hmm. on weekends. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, surgery centers have uh, have had to start uh, working longer hours and and have added Saturdays and Sundays in some cases. So if you are able to avoid that, certainly use that as part of your marketing uh, or recognize you're going to have to pay more money if your uh, organization does have to extend hours.
0: But you're still not doing overnights, which most new nurses in a hospital have right. to do their share of... Overnights, um,
1: and they're not so. they So there call. is quite.
0: Yes, you right. don't have to take call, and just making people feel like part of your family almost. If people become loyal to you, that's going to you know have a huge effect. And I think especially younger workers coming, I focus more on their work life balance, right? Kind of and other factors besides just salary. Although obviously you have to be. Somewhat competitive with the salary, but really pay attention to those other benefits that you can provide as right, a both, smaller place.
1: Right, both the monetary benefits mm-hmm, such as mm-hmm. uh, uh, health care, uh, insurance, uh, yeah. you know, if you have to, hey, again, uh, when, when you worked in the hospital, you had to pay mm-hmm. parking. You know, yeah. uh, costs. You know, hopefully your surgery center doesn't have that. Uh, you know, but all of those things are things that you need to be uh, taking into consideration and using as a part of your marketing tool. But definitely check your uh, your benefits because often hospitals do have nice benefit programs and mm-hmm. uh, you might find yourself having to match some of those programs out there. I think to your point, Sue, one of the big advantages of working in a surgery center is the non institutional yeah. uh, look and the feel that we have. So uh, as much as possible, uh, you know, make sure that you uh, you make your your place more like a you know a family environment mm-hmm. for your your staff and and also to your point, younger employees uh, when they go to a hospital, they're going to be part of a big cog, but in a surgery center, they're going to get an awful lot more. Uh, personal one-on-one attention. And certainly you should be uh, talking about that also and making sure that your organization does provide that to your newer employees. We've mentioned this before. In the past, we've always encouraged surgery centers to only hire experienced mm-hmm. nurses. We no longer have that luxury now and we have to be prepared, you know, to train people fresh out of school. And, you know, our dear friend, Lori Rodricks, she's always mentioned that that the nice thing about that is that you, uh, you train them right the first time. They don't have to uh, mm-hmm. take somebody from perhaps a hospital or has worked in a hospital environment for a long period of time, and you know acclimate them to a new environment. When you have a new employee, uh, somebody that's fresher out of school or recent graduate, uh, you can train them uh, your way right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. They won't they won't pick up those bad habits that they often get from those hospitals.
0: And I think most people go into nursing because they do want to be that patient advocate. They want to give really good patient care, and. I know from personal experience just recently with um, the delivery of my granddaughter and just other stories I've heard recently, I don't think that nurses always are able to feel they can provide as good of care in these large hospitals. Right. And so I think maybe pointing that out as a benefit that that you're directly involved in maybe decision making and making people feel like they really can feel good about their job when they go home and know they've given really good care. Because that makes a big difference in burnout rates and everything else if they feel like they're doing the right thing. And they may not be able to do that always in a larger, more industrial setting
1: correct. Uh, and I think we also need to recognize that it's not just nurses that are in high demand. Mm-hmm. Recently, I spoke to a center uh, about their staffing challenges, one of our clients, and they said, you know something, John, uh, we don't have a problem recruiting nurses right now. Uh, I mean, their their implication is that you know, of course they were very lucky at the present time. Uh, but they did indicate that they're having some uh, some challenges with back office staff, uh, business office staff in particular, and that the low unemployment rate is affecting um, the the rates of pay in those areas and and they're finding employees uh, jumping to uh, higher paying positions sometimes even outside of healthcare so again you're going to have to to watch all of your those positions not just you know uh, uh, the nursing staff we've, we've uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about but recognize your other staff uh, are, are also finding themselves in a very highly competitive environment and of course it's not just salaries expenses that are are causing problems as we mentioned earlier and to that end, I had an opportunity to talk to Alex Parada with uh, Trivalence, one of our sponsors, about the impact of inflation on other costs in the surgery center, as well as, uh, you know, what what an organization might be able to do in order to be able to meet those challenges. Find And, and particular we talked about finding efficiencies in, uh, in your organization, as well as, of course, uh, making sure that you keep your costs low. So let's listen to that interview now. So I'm here with Alex uh, Parada uh, from Trivalence and uh, we are uh, we're recording just before Christmas, and I'm out of town. Um, I'm not able to record in the studio, so we apologize to our audience for any uh, any recording issues here. But Alex, it's great to have you. Happy holidays.
3: Happy holidays, John. Great to be on, and I uh, appreciate having some more conversations here, and i uh, looking forward to it.
1: Thank you. And your your last uh, interview was very well received and we thought we'd bring you back to uh, as we we come to the end of the year, I thought it would be a good time to kind of talk about those things that uh, we should be talking about all year round. But uh, it comes to mind as we're closing out our financial year. We know, Alex, of course, that uh, inflation is hitting us hard in as you know citizens uh, as well as companies you know and uh, healthcare in particular and unfortunately it is a reality that our revenue stream in the healthcare industry is just not keeping pace with that inflation and the salaries are, of course, are taking a big chunk of our money out. We know that about twenty-five to thirty percent of the the revenue that we have goes toward paying the salaries, and that's taking it perhaps even a larger chunk uh, of our uh, our budget now. And we and we can't control the salaries cost, unfortunately, because we need those employees. Without the employees, we can't do our cases and you know we're having challenges with recruiting staff we're having challenges because we're competing with other providers Uh, and of course we got to keep our our staff happy so they don't leave us so that leaves us uh, as we try to balance the books as we try to you know keep our profitability at least where where it is now and and perhaps even increasing it kind of push to to find ways to cut costs and Alex you and I before we started recording we're joking about you know about my comment being you know we got to find ways to cut costs and of course I've been saying that for 30, you know, three some odd years.
3: Right. It, it's always it, it's an interesting time to be running a business, right? You have your top line staying relatively flat, your your costs going up uh, and, and you got to figure out how you're going to uh, gonna survive and maintain financial stability. And so uh, to your point, the, the next place you always look is. How do you cut costs and how, how do you reduce things? And you know, obviously, the you know the, your salaries are are not going to change significantly, right? You you can't really make cuts there. They're incredibly important people and doing great work. And you know, there you got to find other uh, that other seventy-ish percent of your cost that of your revenue, that you got to go um, cut costs on right
1: and and i think one of my concerns uh, having been an administrator myself for you know, a good 17 years and then working with with administrators is sometimes uh, let's face it it's a tough job to be an administrator business office manager you know or nurse manager you know for that matter all all three of those positions or whatever positions you have in your organization are responsible ultimately for for the cost but we have so many other duties and and even more so after the pandemic as our staffing gets tighter and our responsibilities as asc leaders you know get get more broad um, that there are certain things that we let go and I, I'm afraid that one of those might be keeping an eye on um, costs I mean I think we're always conscious about costs, but we're not always uh, looking deep into what's going on we might be complacent about certain of our costs so can you address that a little bit as you know how do we avoid that complacency what are some of the the areas that uh, we should be making sure we look at all the time and especially annually
3: yeah, absolutely. I think in this environment, right, like one, you're obviously cost cutting and looking for efficiencies there is one. The other is what I think about how your staff is working and operating day to day so that you can maximize, you know, the, the patient care. You can maximize your team focus on value added activities instead of administration. Um, and, you know, just from a pure you know, making sure you're getting the right prices sort of perspective and and kind of keeping an eye on that, you know, I always think of it as it's not just cost cutting, right? Like it can be even further into more of a strategic approach towards, you know, financial stability, quality care, and just competitiveness all around. And, you know, there's many ways to approach this, right? I think some of the, the simplest ways are, you know, just talking to your suppliers, right? Like identifying those key suppliers you have and just understanding, like, are you getting the most competitive pricing should you be calling another uh, competitive uh, supplier or vendor should you just be you know opening up those lines of communication can do a couple different things one you might actually just immediately get some savings because you know they're they want to partner with you and uh, continue that relationship Um, or you're going to hold them accountable if you find another vendor and say hey you know can you match this pricing over here Um, but you know I I think it, it By regularly just sort of evaluating your vendors, it can establish a stronger relationship, you know, you can foster more collaboration, there's a partnership, leads to better service, more reliability, you know, better responsiveness, you're just kind of working as a team together um, and just opening up the lines of communication. I think that's the big one is, is just having those conversations.
1: Yeah, you, know, you bring up an interesting point, just personally, this last week, I, uh, I called up uh, my friends over at OnStar and said, you know, I'm canceling your service uh, because, uh, first of all, I don't think I need it anymore because, you know, with, with cell phones and all. But it was amazing to me because they offered to decrease my costs by three quarters. I mean, Absolutely. just calling them on the phone, you know, and, and I, I think to your point, just do it with everybody. Just say, you know, I'm looking at other vendors right now. What can you do for
3: me? Absolutely, and, and if you think about it from the flip side, so you know where the world that I've lived in for a while is, they think of it in terms of that cost to acquire a new customer, yeah. right? And it's it's actually less expensive to give a a, a future discount or on current services than trying to go find a new customer to to replace you know, the 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 volume of transactions that you. So in, in OnStar's case, they kind of look at that and they have some sort of formula behind the scenes, right? And they say. You know what? It's gonna cost us X dollars to go find another John. So, right. well, you know, <laughs> let, let's see if we can just get him a uh, uh, keep him on board for a little bit longer with a lower price. And uh, suppliers, you know, might not think exactly in that that framework, but similarly, right? And and you <laughs> know, they, they realize
1: that. Yeah, um, especially products it's difficult because there is a cost associated with it. But, you know, uh, like a uh, a service like that that's. Pretty much, you know, it doesn't cost them any more for additional clients or you know, people. Uh, but I, but that's that's a very good point. Is you need to kind of separate those out. Look for those situations in which you you uh, you know that their cost of adding you uh, is not that high, and the cost of losing you is even higher.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and, and it's also you know, I think everyone approaches this as entirely cost cutting and in, in trying to find the the lowest price and. I don't know if we think that's even the best approach, right? You want to kind of strike this balance of cost effectiveness and, and quality, right? Because at the end of the day, you could find the, the lowest cost product, but the quality couldn't be there, uh, and you want to have a high standards of care and you know all of that. So it it becomes a bit of a balancing act as well. But um, I still think opening up the communication, talking to your vendors, talking to your suppliers, uh, is kind of the key sort of number one step um, to approach. Now, a,
1: a lot of our centers, you know, the, our audience is is, mix, is a mix of people that come from very large organizations and very small organizations. So, you know, our average listener, uh, well, I don't know that we have an average listener, but we've got listeners who are actually doing the purchasing because there's nobody else to do it, as well as uh, people that are, you know, managing large surgery centers that might have multiple people that are doing the purchasing. Um, it, you know, it, it's a little bit easier for us to tell uh, you know, our listener that's making those purchasing decisions to keep an eye out for these things. But what advice do you have for those that are supervising individuals that are doing the actual purchasing?
3: Yeah, I, I think in, in that case, it's it's a similar answer. I think in terms of communication, ask what are you doing to talk yeah. to your vendors? Like, what cadence are you speaking with the vendors and your suppliers to understand? You know, are we uh, you know are we competitive? I, I think that's the best way to do it. It's all about communication and just uh, kind of striking that right balance of you know quality and, and cost effectiveness. Um, but you're right. Like, I think your your listeners are probably across the board. You have somebody who's just filling in and saying, you know, this isn't my entire job. This is 10% of my job. Like, I don't have time to go call all my vendors every week and, and um, you know, start negotiating pricing. But it, it, can, it can even be small steps, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be, I'm going to think of it like this massive project and I'm going to call every vendor. And, you know, it's like, start with one, right? You can start with one or start with certain supplies, specific supplies that you purchase and think about, well, do I need to get it from this particular vendor or this particular supplier? Is there another option uh, to consider? And and if you look at it from that perspective, it's not as daunting of a task, right? It's not like I need to look across my entire supply chain and figure things out. It's, Pick it off one by one. Now, um, and to your point, you know it, the the range of folks that might be listening. Somebody's managing a whole supply chain team is probably thinking about this day to day, right? And and actively negotiating on a on a more regular cadence. And somebody who's spending ten percent of their job on this, uh, they can't, right? They have too much other things to do. Well, I, and, and of
1: course, our purchasing people, if, if, if we're not that purchaser, we, we need to supervise them. We need to keep an eye on them. And more importantly, need to make sure that they have the proper tools. You know, maybe, um, it, you know, what I found over time is that sometimes the communication between the GPOs, you know, the group purchasing organizations and the purchaser might have broken down or it's just not as, not to the level it might have been at the very beginning of that relationship with the GPO. But just making sure that that you as a leader are involved periodically with that GPO discussion uh, and, you know, maybe talking to the GPO to make sure that the, the, your, uh, your purchasing people are indeed communicating with them on a regular basis, especially when they're purchasing something new.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to communication again. You know, you, you set up these regular cadence check-ins, maybe it's every six months, every quarter, or whatever is the right kind of cadence for, for checking in with your vendors, but it's it's worth it so let's talk a little bit about you know some of the things that we
1: might have a little bit more control over uh i mean i I think we we understand the importance of communicating and making sure that we're buying you know uh, supplies at a uh at a good price and constantly looking at that but there's other things that we can be doing in our organization to kind of behind the scenes in order to improve efficiencies for example uh do you want to talk about that a little bit especially i you know i think that whole purchasing cycle is one of those areas that's undergoing incredible changes right now not just in healthcare but you know across the board in companies
3: yeah I, I agree i think lots of changes across the board with new technologies coming together and the entire industry is really historically just been pen and paper everything is you know write an order send it in send an email it, it's all very manual and then maybe it's starting to migrate a little bit more towards e-commerce uh and then you have know, somebody who's purchasing for 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 an ase and they probably have maybe 10 15 20 of like their top kind of suppliers, and they have 10 or 15 tabs open on their browser every day, like trying to go in and order, it's a, it's a mess, right, because it's a nightmare, it's like, did I order that one, did I not, like, where am I, what's my stock level like, and and it just becomes this, this kind of cobweb of a, of, of a process, and, um, you know, now there are, there are, you know, solutions out there, you know, of course, I can plug Trivalence, but, you know we. We, we, can, we can kind of centralize all of that, right? So you can go to one place, have a shopping cart type experience. You know what you're ordering that day, you know what you're ordering that week. Um, and you can look and you can, you know, all of this gets sent electronically. So there's, there's you know, a, a simpler way to do this. And, you know, outside of the, the actual purchasing and, and submitting a purchase order, the oftentimes the what people maybe think less about they think of that upfront as being the the um, you know the most administrative work but there's so many other steps after that like you got to make sure you received your goods you got to make sure that you know you're getting the right pricing and then you ultimately have to go pay that bill and um, you know being able to do that one centralized view and one centralized hub is just invaluable I mean you know you can reduce errors you can speed up time uh, like we mentioned earlier you know, uh, another way to think about efficiency with, with using people is people's time, right? Like if 30% of your revenue is spent on people, well, make sure you're maximizing that time. And part of that is not passing paper back and forth, right? It's, it's yeah. using the tools that are available uh, to speed up the process and, and um, you know, ensure that people are, are focused on the value added activities. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up because I, I just visited a center
1: yesterday and I was asking about staffing and when I'm talking to the clinical staff, they said, you know, actually, we're okay right now. We finally got enough of our clinical staff uh, uh, on board. Now, I, You know, they're very lucky, I think, and they're very fortunate right now. And that might just be a temporary situation. But then the business office manager said, you know something, that's not my situation. I cannot hire people in the business office that I need in order to be able to accomplish all my work. So to your point, um, you know, the lack of staff, I mean, the lack of staffing or the challenges we have in hiring staff in the business office is indeed a problem, uh, which means that we got to find ways to more efficiently to address that.
3: Yeah, I agree. And, and I think hiring is difficult and retention is just as difficult, if not harder. And what what I've always thought of is being able to provide people the right tools to be able to do their job effectively and efficiently um, is going to keep them longer, right? Like, you know, if somebody is pushing paper back and forth all day and they're getting overwhelmed in that cobweb of ordering process that I was talking about, you know, they're They're not going to be too, too ha- super happy with that after a while, right? They're eventually going to get burnt out and say, you know, I have too much to do, and this is only supposed to be ten percent of my job and it's become thirty percent of my job. Now I don't have time for the other stuff that I actually like doing, you know and it, 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 even providing those those tools in the business office can help retain employees. And yeah um, there's a huge value out there.
1: Well, it so sort brings up an interesting topic and again, it gets a little bit back to the, the purchasing uh, person too. Um, but, you know, in the past, the old model, you know, when I was an administrator, you know, a good 20-some-odd 20, 20 years ago, um, I, would, I was constantly being bombarded with people coming to my office uninvited, uh, you know, trying to sell me products, or distributors, uh, you know, coming in and, and wanting to meet with me regularly to talk about their new products and things like that. Um, is that the model anymore? I mean, you know, what, what do you think the trend is in that area? You know, how are we purchasing? uh, things now is, you know, is that a viable model and should we even be accepting people like that coming into our office?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it depends, right. It's all situational at the end of the day. I think it is moving away from that model to some degree, um, in really, you know, focusing more towards on, um, you know, sales that are not necessarily in person as, as often, but there are always going to be that level of in-person interaction, Um, and keeping up with your local reps and your local folks. But uh, the actual placing of the order tends to now be, you know, behind the scenes, right? You know, they might, instead they may have came in once a week and said, hey, what would you like to order? And like, let me go fulfill that order for you, right? Or let me pull it out of my trunk, like whatever it is, right? But now it's become more they're they're looking at the you know folks coming in are looking to sell on new uh, new initiatives either new you know trying to gain your business from another supplier or um you know trying to sell uh, new things that are coming down the coming down the pipe and so uh it's just kind of shifted a little bit right it used to be maybe more in person you know let's go place your order today but now i think all of that happens electronically hopefully for the most part. Um, but electronically could be the cobweb that I mentioned before, right? A lot of it still sits in that. I send an email to this vendor, I order through their website on this vendor and this vendor, I call it in, or I fax it, (laughs) like it can go in through any channel. And, uh, I think one of the big efficiencies uh, with technology that we can use that, um, you know, has been more apparent maybe in other industries for a long time, but you can centralize all of this. So, um,
1: as well as be able to compare prices, you know, I mean, I, I always use whenever I'm talking to you, I always use the uh, the Amazon model uh, because that's similar to what trivalence is, is is doing, though. I mean, it's different, different mechanism. But, um, you know, I, I can compare prices pretty easily when I'm looking to buy whatever even food products now you know very easily on uh, on the computer i mean even with something like instacart for example i can compare different products that could be delivered to my home you know uh, directly um and we're all embracing that type of technology now uh, we expect it at home we use it at home why shouldn't we be using it here right
3: Exactly. And that, that type of, you know, ease of use is, is things that as a consumer we see every day, but uh, in some of our, our work lives, we don't see it and it's a little bit more challenging. And, you know, that's where I think trivalence is making huge strides is, you know, centralizing the purchasing function and and, and allowing folks that uh, uh, more strategically look at, at purchasing and then also, uh, you know, bring up the even the payment side into the more consumer like world is, you know, you click a button and your your vendor gets paid, you know, it's not okay, now I have to go take the invoice and enter it into QuickBooks. And then maybe I'm using bill.com or maybe I'm using QuickBooks. Maybe I print a paper check and then I have to go get it signed. Like there's a whole process that that folks are doing behind the scenes there. But what we're trying to do is try to bring some of that consumer-like feel of technology into your day-to-day so that, you know, you click a button and and it's done. So yeah, so let's compare uh, the old way when you generate
1: a check, just talk a little bit about how we used to do it and how inefficient that can be. Because, I, I mean, I know for a fact a, a lot of surgery centers are still cutting a lot of checks. Um, and even very large organizations are doing this. Uh, and I think that they hesitate to move away from that because they feel that, by that that check is that control that they have, you know, having somebody physically sign that check. But we can replace that old... Inefficient paper and pen type system with technology now. So, can you compare the old way to the new way, and and how much? I don't know. You know, if you can even estimate how much time you probably have studied that, how much time you can save?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot a lot of time you can save. I mean, I remember earlier in my career when my first uh, first job was really an accounts payable, so I know this well. Where you're, we're an organization that printed checks. We probably printed. I don't know, two to 300 checks a week in a, uh, you know, in a weekly check run. And every single one of those checks had to go get, you know, signed, right? And we, we you know, had ways to, to speed up the process, but every single one of those had to get physically printed and think about the time just waiting for them to, to print. But, you know, all these issues, your printer didn't work, something got jammed, like, and you have to redo the check. It's like, it can be a nightmare. Uh, and then you have to go track down the person who actually has to go authorize those checks, put them in an envelope and get them out the door. And it's a day or more of work to, to, to get all that done. And, you know, you can replicate a similar process and not give up the control, but use electronic tools to do it. So and it'll save you a ton of time. So, for example, you don't have to print the check but you can present the batch and or the individual payment you're gonna to send to the approver. They're just gonna see it electronically on their screen. They can look at the, 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 the image of the invoice. They can look at the detail of the pricing and you know whatever they would normally look at when they sign the check, except they can just see it on their computer screen, click a button, right? And then there's no printing of the check. There's no mailing it. Uh, you know, and and it just goes and gets paid to the vendor. Um, Now, it could be paid by electronic payment by ACH. It could be paid by a credit card. It could be paid by a paper check. All depends on, you know, the supplier and kind of how things are set up. But uh, there's a way to replicate that process without giving up the control. And what I always thought was for myself and when I converted from paper to, to electronic was most appealing was that you have a full audit trail. Right. You know what happened. You know who clicked the pay button. You know when they did it. There's not this this issue of, wait, we paid this six months ago and I don't remember signing that check. And, you know, that kind of all goes away. You have, you know, it's gone through your entire workflow. Um, And I think that's the important is, is the important piece is figuring out what the workflow needs to be so that you don't give up that control and you actually just have better control. Right. Well, and I think back
1: in my days when I had to sign these checks, I'd get this huge stack of uh, accounts payable. You know, I'd have the check at the top, I'd have the, you know, purchase order, I'd have the receiving document, I'd have the invoice. You know, I would check to make sure that my accounts payable clerk had done all of those things. And periodically, I would have to double check to make sure that indeed that individual is doing it properly. but I have this huge stack of paper that took me forever to go through if I could look it out a, and of course, I had to do it in an office you know as opposed to perhaps even remotely if I uh, out sick for the day or if I'm working remotely for the day, I uh, couldn't do that in in the old uh, way, but the modern system you've just created or you know so many of our let's face it so many of our administrators, nurse managers now business office managers. They don't have time during the day to do some of these basic functions. They might be doing that on a weekend, unfortunately. Not that that's right, um, but, you know, uh, the electronic method you've just described is something that probably can be done anywhere.
3: Yeah, and it it can also resolve errors faster and um, you can ensure accuracy. And so, you know, I I always think about the, the, the process you just described is basically you're reconciling data right you're saying does the price match did we receive it you know all that all that sort of thing computers are really good at doing that sort of stuff and so when you can just put the technology in place to do that for you you just got to make sure that conceptually everything is working the way you want it to work throughout the workflow but uh, like for example trivalence can work through that that matching process that you described all automatically and, and systematically so there's not you're not looking through four or five pieces of paper to go check it off it's you know we've already done all that work and if there are exceptions we will highlight them and say hey this is a little off you should go look at this one that way. You know, out of that batch you looked at maybe there was one that was a little off, but you didn't have to go searching for it, we just say here's the one to go look at um, and that way, instead of spending i'm sure hours of time you could spend minutes.
1: Right. And and just don't forget about the paper trail that you've got there also, you know, handling all that paper, scanning that paper into the computer if that's what you're doing. Just filing all that paper, uh, you know, manually is is an awful lot of time. I, 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 you know, the more I think about this, the more I think about how many man hours you could save just by physically handing handling that paper that you've got and getting rid of it eventually uh storing it sending it off to a storage location you know for the so many years that you need in order to keep it for you know accounting purposes i i, I you, you know you're right there's just such a time savings here and not just the time as you were saying i think that's a better control because there's it reduces the amount of possible human error that could come into that system
3: exactly exactly so lots of ways to so, so talk a little bit about how um,
1: how we can integrate that with our accounting systems. I, there aren't a lot of accounting systems out there anymore, you know, that that people work with, and and uh, I perceive right now that the accounting system integration is not where I want it to be in the future. So maybe you can talk a little bit about where you see that occurring and how it needs to occur in the future.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you know the. The integrations between uh, you know third-party systems, similar to Trivalent or any other, and the accounting systems have just gotten so much better over time that it, this stuff has has become a little bit more standard, right? And to your point, there's there's not a thousand different accounting systems out there that people are using. There's a concentration, right? Like you might be using a larger ERP if you're a, a, a larger organization, but generally, you're probably using QuickBooks or some version of a a, a bookkeeping system like that, and. You know, integrating with a Trivalence uh, or a product like that, it it allows you to sort of maximize the value you can get out of a QuickBooks, right, because you can sort of get your best-in-class procurement and payment system that then just feeds back into your general ledger, which you will have your full picture of financial reporting, right? And so, um, and and, uh, uh, personally, when I've worked in, in different organizations, I have always built a sort of technology stack that is exactly like that, where it's centralized around an accounting system, but you have four to five different peripheral systems that are best in class that are gonna get you the most value that just feed into one centralized accounting system for your, your consolidated reporting. Um, but you know the, the way that integrations I think are incredibly helpful is it, it reduces any double entry, right? You don't have to enter something in two systems. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest value add is if you're even, like if you start from the beginning of getting an invoice and you know, if you get that invoice electronically, it can go into a system like Trivalence it can be you know, recognized and sort of automated and approved through a workflow. And then all of the information is then just pushed back to your QuickBooks or, or accounting system so that you don't have to do anything in between. It all is electronically. You looked at the screen, it followed the workflow, it automated the matching, everything's correct. You click pay and everything kind of goes right to your accounting system. Uh, so when you go to run your monthly reports and kind of look at your p you can, it's there. You don't have to go searching for uh, missing transactions. And, and that kind
1: of leads us into the kind of last topic here, which is just pure cash management. Uh, so we talk about ways to, to decrease our costs and how to deal with, uh, uh, you know, keeping our, our, our expenses low, at negotiating the best terms, um, you know, approving efficiency of, of all of our staff, including the business office staff. But the last part is just maintaining our, keeping our cash as long as possible and, in, you know, of course, we're not talking here about revenue cycle, but uh, uh, making sure the very least that our our revenue is coming in faster than our expenses are going out. So talk a little bit about how how uh, modern systems can help us with managing our cash balances.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think cash management overall is is I think of it in the terms of working capital. It's both sides, right? It's it's how fast can you get your cash in and how slow can you pay your cash out uh, in, in trying to maximize the time in between. And you know I think you know, the the nice thing about um, you know, using a, a system like Trivalence is that we give you insight into your 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 cash balance at any given point in time, right? We have connections to a bank account. So we can tell you before you go release these payments, you can say, oh, this is my cash balance today, right? You don't have to go blog in again and go look at your bank or, you know, think through how many open checks do I have? Like, where am I with that? Like, if, if it, everything in one centralized place, all of that becomes much easier in terms of forecasting and understanding where you are today and where you'll be tomorrow. Um, and I think you know, just from a pure negotiation standpoint, um, with with your suppliers and vendors, we were talking about that before, is you know, one thing to really focus on, I always think about is you know payment terms, right? Uh oftentimes if you you get signed up with a, a new supplier, a new vendor, they might just give you their standard terms. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's receipt, maybe it's 15 days, maybe it's 30 days. Um But what I've always found really helpful is working with those vendors and just negotiating payment schedules that align as close as possible to that you know, either procedure delivery or or, or cash collection times and just really minimize that time between when you're paying your suppliers and when you're receiving that cash. And, um, you know, oftentimes you can work with your suppliers, explain the issue, hey, you know, I'm not getting paid for six months, like, but I have to pay you tomorrow, you know, know, what can we do to make this work? And, um, you know, oftentimes they're willing to work with you, right? They're going to be your partner. They want to be in it for the long term. And these are ways that uh, suppliers will Will help maintain your business right when we were talking about before you know, talking with your vendors around pricing and things like that the other side that's also part of that equation is how long are they allowing you to pay right and you might have one that's giving you a better price but you have to pay them in 15 days versus another who's giving you maybe a slightly higher price but they'll give you 75 day payment terms and it's like well you have to weigh that value to your organization of having that that cash for longer
1: Yeah, actually, I really want to emphasize that is that part of your negotiation, again, a lot of the people that are uh, are listening to us are probably not uh, as educated in finance and and managing finances as uh, somebody like myself and yourself who, you know, we we were trained in that way. So uh, um, negotiating lower prices and faster payment terms is a a very common uh, thing in, you know, high finance. If they want to get paid sooner, if your vendor wants to get paid sooner, then just, you know, you should be saying, hey, I'd be glad to do that. You know, if you give me a 2% discount, for example, if I pay you within 15 days.
3: Yep, exactly. That's another way that that folks go after price discounting is understanding um, are there any like dynamic discounting options? Like are there early pay options? Are there anything that you as the ASC can control in terms of that pricing? Right? Like you know, some some uh, suppliers may give you 75-day payment terms, but if you pay them, you know, within 15 or 30 days, maybe they'll give you a 1%, 2% discount. Um, and if that's the case, then you can kind of decide at, at you know, when you're coming up on those, the payments coming due, Hmm, is it worth the discount today for me to go pay them in 15 days, or do I want to hold on to this cash for a little bit longer? And You kind of get to make that decision and uh, ultimately control your destiny to some degree of whether your pricing is going to come down or whether you're, you're holding on to the cash is going to come down.
1: Sorry. Yeah, and actually That brings up a very good point. One of my passions is, you know, financial forecasting, you know, uh, looking at your financial situation. Again, it really gets down to what you've been talking about, Alex, you know, it, in the old days, you know, last year Um, we have a challenge in doing this financial forecasting because we're pulling information from a lot of different places but the more centralized we have our 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 systems the more information we have in as few systems as possible we can drop that into financial forecasting tools to be able to determine you know whether it is whether we can afford to uh, um, you know to pay faster if we're going to get a good discount what's that bottom line impact going to be um, there and and the, the newer tools and AI, you know, for example, artificial intelligence uh, can provide us that type of information that we can use to make some of those determinations. But uh, what do you think about the importance of financial forecasting, you know, for for organizations today?
3: Yeah, it, it's critical, right? Like you you can't you got to keep an eye on this for um, and just making sure that your cash flows are you know you're anticipating your kind of your your future cash needs. Yeah. I think you know. Um, it, there's sort of like two components. I think when folks as operators think about their, their cash and one is is people costs, right? And generally that's somewhat fixed, right? Like it's pretty consistent month to month, week to week, unless you're making making changes with, with your people, but generally speaking, that, that, that's somewhat fixed, but you have this variable component, which is everything else. And yeah. so those are the ones that are harder to keep an eye on and harder to track. But again, using a, a centralized uh, centralized hub, if you will, where all of your purchasing and all of your payments are coming through, you get a better insight into well, what's coming due next week, what's coming due next month and and what do I need to plan for? Uh, and so to your point, depending on you know how granular folks are forecasting, right? you might have you know larger organizations who are looking at, you know, rolling kind of 13-week cash flow forecasts that are very, very granular down to the, uh, you know, the supplier. And you might have other organizations that don't go quite as deep as that and just kind of say, "I I need to maintain X dollars because I know, my next week, my next month looks like this financial picture and it's, yeah. um, you know, maybe uh, less detailed. but having everything together is the only way that you're going to be able to predict the future, right? You can't, you can't just, uh, you know, look at four different systems all the time and eyeball it, right? You got to bring it all in one spot and um, and use the past to predict the future.
1: Yeah, and I'll just put a push in because this, this is, again, something that you don't necessarily need to do in-house or organizations such as ours that, that can do financial forecasting for you. But in order to be able to do that efficiently, of course, they've got to have access to great information that comes off of computer systems rather than asking your staff to be able to pull that information together and then doing that you know double entry, as you said, to, to be able to gather that information. Um, we are definitely uh, heading in that direction. We're not there yet, though, completely, aren't we? I mean, we still got some work to do. In- and you know, we've got uh, TriValance out there that's doing a great job on pulling it all together, but uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we, we need to make sure that we are at the, the, the leading edge of this type of technology because it it, it's truly something that we need in order to improve our efficiency.
3: That's right. That's right. Especially in an environment, an inflationary environment where you have, you know, your, your top line staying stagnant and not moving a whole lot and your costs going up. You got to, you got to be able to have, you know, really clear visibility and, and accurate forecasting to understand what you can do today and what, how's that going to impact tomorrow. Alex, I really
1: appreciate this. You, uh, you're a great sponsor of our podcast. We appreciate the support uh, and we, we appreciate all this great information that will hopefully help all of our listeners to, uh, uh, to look for ways to become more efficient and to keep their costs low.
3: Thanks, John. Always great to, to connect and uh, hope you have a great holiday.
1: Thanks. You too.
0: In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. ASCA
1: 2024 is coming up. It'll be at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando, Florida, uh, April 17th through the 20th, 2024, and I think I'm going to be doing two sessions there.
0: And the Georgia Society of ASCs and South Carolina ASC Association's joint semi-annual conference and trade show is February 22nd to the 23rd in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Western Atlanta Perimeter North. And on August 15th and 16th, 2024, in Hilton Head, South Carolina, at the Marriott Hilton Head Resort and Spa.
1: And the Gulf States Conference is going to be June 11th through the 13th. In Biloxi, Mississippi, at the Beau Rivage, I hope I pronounced that properly, resorting casino.
0: The Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgical Center's Quality and Risk Management Conference is April 4th and 5th, 2024, in Daytona Beach, Florida, at the Hilton Oceanfront Resort, and their annual conference and trade show is July 17th through the 19th. 2024 in Orlando, Florida at the Signia by Hilton Orlando Bonnet Creek.
1: And the Tennessee Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual meeting will be September 12th through the 13th at the Chattanoogan in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And don't forget about our upcoming boot camps. We have the uh, Administrator Boot Camp, uh, which you can register for at asc-central.com, and that's going to be January 23rd to the 26th. Uh, and that will be done virtually, as well as our Business Office Manager Boot Camp, which will be March 12th through the 15th, 2024. And again, both of those are uh, virtual. Uh, there are four direct conferences as well as mentoring. Uh, and more information about that is available at asc central.com. And don't forget about our credentialing, privileging, and Peer Review Conference on January 11th and 12th, 2024, again, virtually. Uh, And we'll be updating our 2020 conference on credentialing and adding a lot of new content, particularly in the area of peer review. And again, more information about it is at ASC-Central.com. And don't forget, we also have on-demand versions of our ASC Director of Nursing, ASC Administrators, and our ASC Business Office Manager Boot Camps. And all that information is also available on ASC-Central.com. And don't forget about our patron member program and that is for $25 a month to become a patron member of the podcast and get a lot of great benefits, including weekly drop-in sessions, usually weekly drop-in sessions. Right now they're on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, For more information about that, visit asc-central.com or ascpodcast.com. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. If you found the episode informative, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'd love any feedback about our episode or ideas for future episodes by sending us an email at comments at com. And we, of course, want to give a special shout out to all of those people that make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team, Sue Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Bornemann, Zach Caloraitis, Jim Masters, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Fodi, Donna Macchio, Christina Norman, and Katie Pearson. We Certainly couldn't do this without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.
0: This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at